Acts chapter 2 will be going through verses 37 through 41 tonight, and perhaps next week finishing up the chapter. So let's read, and then we will pray, and we will walk through it together. Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart, and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Let's pray. God in heaven, we give you praise this evening. Uh, Lord, we're, we're so thankful uh, for just even 2,000 years ago, the celebration uh, that happened, the false celebration of Palm Sunday. Uh, Lord, we know that many of them uh, changed their minds about Uh, this Savior who they praise coming in through the streets. But Lord, we give you praise that the Son continued on his path toward the cross. And Lord, we know that Friday is coming, that we can be uh, redeemed, that we can find atonement for our sins through Jesus Christ's sacrifice. And Lord, we are thankful that next Sunday we get to celebrate together the risen Savior. Uh, Lord, I pray that you'd be with us now as we look into your word. Lord, that this would not just be a story, that this would not just be facts that we know about your word. Uh, I do not think that I will be preaching anything new tonight. I think many of my friends here have heard this text over and over. Uh, But Lord, I do pray that your spirit would speak to us tonight. Uh, That if there are things that we need uh, to repent of, that we would do so. Lord, if there are steps in our faith that we need to make. Uh, I pray that you would give us courage and boldness to do that. Lord, I pray that you would help us to think clearly tonight in your word, that each one of us would be searching this text to see what you have for us, to see what you would have us to learn and to implement into our lives through your Holy Spirit, that we would be different people. Lord, I pray that this sermon would matter, uh, that it would make a difference in our hearts. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I was looking at this text, uh, I was reminded of things that I've been learning lately. Uh, Having a child with autism has taught me a lot. Uh, It has grown me in ways I did not think I needed to be grown, ways that I would not have chosen for myself. Uh, I've learned quite a bit about patience. I've learned quite a bit about grace. Uh, When someone does something to you and you think, all right, now it's the consequence time, but you understand that their mind just isn't comprehending some things, uh, there needs to be grace there. Uh, I've learned about developing healthy rhythms, healthy uh, rhythms in my life, habits uh, to have. My son, Henry, is all about rhythm. Uh, Now, I know as as a Baptist, you might hear rhythm and immediately go, no, we shouldn't be talking about this. All right, but I mean uh, of things that we do uh, in the day. You get up, boom, you go pour that coffee maybe or get out the cereal or whatever you do. Next step, boom, 
Uh, you get the word out. Boom. You have another thing that you do. Uh, boom. You get in the car. Boom. You go to work. Boom. All these things, just one after the other. It's a rhythm. Uh, my son Henry is all about rhythms. Uh, if you see him uh, playing with action figures, most likely he is not playing with them in an imagination kind of way uh, of, uh, you know, here's the good guy, here's the bad guy, and they're going to battle it out. Most likely he is lining them up. Uh, if it's colors, he will put them in a pattern. Uh, if it is blocks, he will have all the shapes go uh, in, in a rhythm, in a pattern. He is all about rhythm. And Christianity is all about rhythm too. Uh, it is about habits. It is about steps that happen in, in, in a consequent, uh, consequently way. It's, it's boom, boom, boom. This is what Christianity is. Uh, here in this text, we're going to see rhythms, uh, steps that are supposed to happen uh, just right after one another. And yet, for some reason, and as a, a student of history, I still do not know why we did this. But we have taken this rhythm and we have butchered it. Uh, but the rhythm of Scripture is very clear here. So let's look at this rhythm. What, if you're taking notes, I would call it the rhythms of repentance. Verse 37. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Now, let's stop right there. Uh, they heard something that got them. Uh, the gut punch that we talked about last time uh, of Peter's last illustration of Jesus being the better David, of salvation from Jesus being far greater than the salvation that David was able to accomplish for Israel. Uh, and he gave this one last phrase uh, that I think is really what Peter is trying to get at. And actually with the Greek, I can know that it is. All right, now when they heard this, so what is the this that cut them to the heart? The this is this Jesus whom you crucified. Up to that point, they were probably very excited about what they were learning about this Messiah, at least those who had the ears to hear. Uh, that they heard all these wonderful things that this Jesus accomplished for them, that God attested Jesus by these miraculous works, that he rose him from the dead because it was not possible for death to hold him. Remember, we talked about the childbirth pains of death and uh, basically that death could not even contain him in the womb. He had to burst out. They were probably excited with all of that until uh, Peter reminded him what uh, reminded these folks what he had already told them earlier, that they were the ones who were responsible for his death, whom you crucified. I think if we were to take it in its simplest form, we can say that that is sin. To crucify the Savior is a sinful act. So sin is a necessary component of the gospel. In this gospel message of all the good that, that Jesus did, uh, it's not until that last phrase that they really understand what's happening. That he did all of this, but you, men of Israel, are sinners. Uh, so what does it look like to truly understand one's sin or the consequences of one's sin? Well, it says that it, he, they were cut to the heart. Uh, King James Version, I think, says pricked. Uh, both of these are somewhat correct both this idea of cut and prick, but we don't have that word, that Greek word, uh, we don't have that anywhere else in the New Testament. 
so what do we do about words like that? Well, uh, I'm not a Greek scholar, but I know uh, some, and I, I've read some. And what do they do? Well, they go outside of Scripture to see, all right, is there anyone else who has used this word in all of antiquity? And maybe we can gather what this means here in this text. Well, the only other time that they have seen this word is in Homer's Odyssey. Uh, he uses it to speak of strong horses stomping the earth. This idea uh, of cut or pricked. So you can think of that horse galloping on their way and, and they're beating the ground. They're stomping on it. They're squashing this thing. And that is what sin, when you realize the gravity of your sin... That's what it does to the heart. Uh, that's the realization of it. it. It squashes your heart. You could put it as simply as this. It breaks your heart. That is the first rhythm uh, of repentance. You grieve over the realization of one's sin. But is that enough? Is it enough to feel bad? Because that, that's what they do, right? They're cut to the heart. Uh, they all feel that grief over their sin, but is, is that where we see uh, a conversion experience right there? Well, no. Right? We, we could look at Judas, just like we did a couple chapters ago, uh, and we can say that obviously he grieved over his sin, right? He felt really bad, bad enough that he killed himself. So, yeah, he grieved over his sin. Yet we don't see any kind of turning point in his life. We don't see... Repentance. We see grief, but that grief leads to wallowing. It leads to a depression. It doesn't lead to what repentance really is, which is righteousness. So there's a grief that leads to sin, and there's a grief that leads to righteousness. And that's what these folks do, these ones who believe, who have an ear to hear. Look what they ask. Brothers. That's different than the reaction that we got earlier when they're like, oh, they're all drunk. Or here's a loving term. Brothers, what shall we do? This is the moment. This is the moment that changed these people's lives. They, they heard about the gospel story. Jesus, he's God. He's also man. He died for sin. He rose again. And they're uh, confronted with their own sin in that. And here it is, them being like, all right, I get it. I'm grieving over it. I'm cut to the heart. And now action. There must be action. You can't just have an emotional reaction to the gospel message and call that conversion. No, there must be some kind of action. Their grief led then to a sincere action. Seeking a solution. Uh, this is what it means to be a seeker, not uh, what seeker-sensitive movement propagates. All right, but this is the moment of regeneration. I would put it like that. That God has given them something that before they couldn't do. Uh, if you know your Bible, Romans 3, what does it say? Well, a lot, but one of the sections is, is that there is none who seeks after God. Nobody does. Something has to happen in their hearts before they can even say, what should I do with this? And this is the moment. They're given faith. And what do they do? What is the, what is the action that Peter 
actually commands them to do. Verse 38, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So repent. Now, I do know that you guys have heard this over and over and over again. But what is that Greek word for repent? It's, uh, it's matneo. It's a change of one's mind. It's a complete reversal. Uh, as a kid, I, I grew up watching the Sonics. Now, March Madness is over, so this is the only way I get to talk about basketball now is to go to the NBA. All right. Uh, but I grew up watching the Sonics. Uh, every game, pretty much, I was watching it. I would wear my Gary Payton jersey or my Ray Allen jersey, and I would watch the game on Kong 16 and listen to Kevin Calabro call it. Uh, I, I love the Sonics, but something happened. I went away to college, and behind my back, uh, the owner of the Sonics moved the team to Oklahoma City while I was gone. Uh, and, and so they became the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, I hate that team. And it happened immediately. Uh, there were the same players, right? We drafted Kevin Durant. We drafted Russell Westbrook, James Harden, all these superstars now. They were Sonics. And I loved that team. But as soon as they crossed state lines, something happened in my heart. And I hated that team. I'm never going to root for them. I don't care who they get. They could get my favorite player, get, get Ray Allen back out of retirement and have him be Oklahoma City Thunder. I ain't rooting for them. Uh, I hate them. How did that happen? I had a change of mind. I had a change of mind about who they were, even though they were still the same people. I'm not rooting for them anymore. I like the way the 1689 London Baptist Confession, uh, which you might not know a whole lot about, but just so you can take my word for it, uh, I'll, I'll back it up with Spurgeon. Spurgeon called it the epitome of the Baptist faith. And what the 1689 London Baptist Confession says, uh, what is repentance? And, uh, it's an evangelical grace by which a person who is made to feel by the Holy Spirit the manifold evils of his sin and being given faith in Christ humbles himself over his sin with godly sorrow. That's what it looks like to repent. Uh, notice, sinner's prayer isn't here. Notice, not coming to the altar. Those things will not save you. Now, if there is an attitude, uh, something in your heart that has changed, and you do those things, that's fine. All right? But it is not those actions that save a person. It is the grace of God when the Holy Spirit works in that person to reveal to them just how bad they really are. Or as the 1689 says, the manifold evils of their sin. And they're given faith in Christ, and what do they do? They don't just sit back and say, all right, well, life's good now. They humble themselves over their sin, and they weep with godly sorrow. So this change of mind about one's sin and God's holiness, then I would say this is justification. So that idea of seeking out, I understand the gospel, I'm grieved over my sin, and you seek out, what must I do? That's when you are given faith. And this act then of repentance, of turning, because of what the Holy Spirit has done in your heart, that is justification. So, 
Rhythm number one, grieve over the realization of one's sin. Rhythm number two, turn from sin and toward God. That's what usually when you talk about repentance, that's a phrase you will get. You turn away from sin, the life that you were living before, and you turn toward God because you're enabled now. Before, you were totally depraved, which means every aspect of who you are, your personality, your mind, uh, your body, everything was affected by sin But now you have been enabled. You've been enabled to choose God. Why? Because he's done something in your heart first. So what else do you do? Because he says, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. So be baptized. We know that. We're a Baptist church after all. We get it, right? Well, let's just go through it one more time. So what is baptism? Well, it's baptizo in the Greek, Greek transliteration here for baptism. And it means to dunk. Again, basketball. All right, it means to go fully under immersion. Now, we, we get that. We go under the water. You come back up. But that's not all it says. Repent, or, repent to be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Why would, why would Peter put that? Isn't that kind of just inferred? Because you're believing the gospel message after all, and it's all about Jesus. So why would he say that? Well, baptism wasn't something that Peter made up. And I know it's in his name, but John the Baptist didn't make it up either. Baptism was in the Old Testament. It was outside of Israel. Uh, All it meant was to conform to someone's teaching. uh, To become a disciple. That you would go and, all right, let's say that Roger, he's going to be my rabbi. And I'm going to become his disciple, and we're in Old Testament times. I would, I would go through his form of baptism. I would go with him, go under the water, come up, and that was to say that I am now following Roger. I am now following Pastor Faust. I'm his disciple. It was you publicly declaring to be a disciple of a teacher. So when it says, in the name of Jesus Christ, what that means is that you are publicly stating that I am following a teacher. And his name is Jesus. And I am conforming my life to his doctrine. I'm basically uh, signing a a statement of faith publicly and saying, I am following Jesus. So I also want to notice that this is a command. He doesn't say, well, if you're really feeling like it, repent and, and maybe get baptized. Uh, Well, the the wording here in the Greek, this is a command. You must do this. Uh, It's why we call it an ordinance. We don't like to call it sacrament because Catholics have taken that term and run off the deep end with it. But ordinance means command. Uh, It is one of the two commands that we follow as Baptists. What's the other? Lord's Supper. Because we are told to do this in remembrance of me, right? right, So we do this because it is a command. But there is a problem with it too. Here in this text. The problem is, is what does Peter mean when he says repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins? Because if you read it just like that, what does it sound like? It kind of sounds like you got to do both, right? Repent and be baptized and that equals salvation. So is baptism salvific? Of course, we would all shake our heads and say no. But why? Well, 
There's a lot of different arguments you can take. You can take an argument from the Greek. You could do that. All right. You could take an argument from Paul's epistles. But just to make it super easy, what is the one argument that is our trump card that we can pull out at any time when it comes to this argument? Thief on the cross, right? Thief on the cross looks at Jesus and says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, did the thief on the cross, before Jesus gives his answer, go down, get baptized, come back up on the cross, get nailed again, and, and then hang there, and then Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise? No. Just right there, in the moment, he says, remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus responds, today you will be with me in paradise. This guy never got baptized, but he did repent. Earlier, he was mocking him just like the other guy. But now he looks at him and his heart is changed. There's an action. Remember me. So that, that's our trump card that we can pull out at any time. But it's also made clear here in our text. Verse 41. Uh, Peter, a little hard to understand sometimes. Uh, but thank the Lord for Luke. Because as the narrator, he kind of uh, clears out a few things. Look what he says. So those who received his word, step one, were baptized. Step two. And they were added, step three, that day about 3,000 souls. So what do we do when we come into a text that is kind of hard to understand? We're not quite sure what to make of it. And we hear arguments from other people and, and we go and we kind of, I, I, don't, I don't know how to respond to that. Go to the clear part. We interpret the unclear by the clear. And that's how we can avoid heresy. All right, so the thief on the cross too, we can go to that. Uh, I like the way Daryl uh, Bach puts it in his commentary. To agree to baptism is to affirm in a public act what the heart has already done to come into relationship with God. So that, that's all baptism is. It's not anything really all that superstitious. It's not supernatural in that way. There's the other baptism uh, that we, we talked about, the baptism of the Holy Spirit into the church. Right, but this water baptism... All it is going underwater and publicly coming out and saying, I'm following Jesus now. That's it. So step three or rhythm three is to publicly declare Jesus' victory and reign in your life through baptism. Saying, I'm following him now. Uh, when, when I've baptized people, I ask them, uh, of course, to give their testimony to the congregation. And by the way, baptism needs to be in the context of the local church. All right, but when I have done that, I ask them, will you go where Jesus tells you to go? And will you do what Jesus tells you to do? If they answer yes, then I'll baptize them. Uh, but those are the questions. Basically, is Jesus Lord of your life or not? Are you going to follow him? Is he going to be your teacher? Are you going to uh, form your life or conform your life to his doctrine or not? And if so, then he can be baptized. But he continues, all right, uh, and so for the forgiveness of sins, that's talking about repentance, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So he's just going through and saying, this is all stuff. You got to do these things. This is the rhythms that it goes, and, and you'll get the Holy Spirit as part of the deal. Uh, and, and he says, verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off. What is the promise? Some people will say that the promise is just specifically talking about when he says uh, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, but I think that's taking uh, the context and throwing it out. 
the, the promise is in verse, uh, let's see here, verse 21. Verse 21, And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's the promise. Because that's really what Peter's sermon is all about. Who is this Lord? Who is this Lord that you must believe in in order to be saved? Uh, that anyone can be saved and they can get the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you. If you repent, this is yours. But it's not just for you. Thank the Lord it is not just for you. It's for your kids. Uh, as a parent, I desperately want my kids to come to saving faith in Christ. I desperately want it. I remember when Andrew was born that first night, crying in the hotel, uh, hotel <laughs> hospital, uh, and, and just thinking about how badly I want him to be saved. Now, I believe in a sovereign Lord, but there is a duty as a parent, a burden that we feel that we desperately want our children to come to faith. These people felt it too. The promise is for you, and the promise is for your kids, and the promise is for anyone who is far away. I think a little illusion there, even though Peter might not have even understood it himself to the Gentiles becoming saved. Everyone, except there's one stipulation. What's the stipulation? Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. The stipulation is this, that you have to be called. You have to be, I'm going to use this word, elected. That's what the word means. You must be called, proskaleo, to, to, to summon, to beckon to oneself. It's when I call for Andrew, come here. I want him to come. I call out for him. When the Father wants his redeemed to come to him, he calls. And nobody, not a single person comes to him without the Father calling him first. God initiates salvation. Let's turn just a couple pages. Acts chapter 13, verse 48. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing, glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. That's what salvation looks like for us. There's the, there are these two perspectives that are happening. January 10, 2000, I got down on my knees uh, right at the three-point line where I spent a lot of my time. All right, we, we had church in a gym. And hearing uh, Romans 10 verses 9 through 10 preached, I heard the call of the Lord. And I knew that my sin mattered to a holy God. And I needed to repent of my sin and trust in Him. From my perspective, I chose Him. But God's perspective is better. And He says that those who were appointed to eternal life Believed. Now, in case you're getting scared. All right, let's keep on reading here in Acts chapter 2. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself, verse 40, and with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourself 
from this crooked generation. So here we see the balance of good gospel preaching. Election is not ignored. The will of the Father is lifted up. But there still is a choice. Again, from our perspective, there is this choice. Will you believe in Jesus or not? Will you repent of your sin and trust in Christ or not? Save yourself. Now, is Peter preaching that you can save yourself on your own merits, on your own good works? No. What is he saying? Do what you got to do. Repent. Believe in Jesus. Be baptized. You'll get the Holy Spirit. You will be saved. Save yourself from this crooked generation. So God's sovereignty is not our enemy. We can preach the gospel message and ask for that person. We don't know whether they are elect or not. Spurgeon put it this way, uh, who was a Calvinist, by the way. Uh, But Spurgeon put it this way. If he knew who the elect were, if God had put a yellow stripe on their back, then he would go around lifting shirts. But God hasn't done that. So I'm going to preach whosoever will call on his name and be saved. He's going to preach to every single person expecting them to be saved. Not like David Brainerd, who was told uh, if God elects the heathen when he went to the mission board and said, can I go preach to the First Nations people here? Uh, And the the board said, um, if, if God elects the heathen, then he will do it without your help or mine. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Peter is saying. There has to be a balance here. So, Rhythm number three, publicly declare Jesus' victory and reign in your life through baptism. Rhythm number four, get added. Get added to the church. Look at this, uh, the summary here, verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. So here comes the clear explanation of what uh, Peter already said in verse 38. Uh, the, the foundational, the, the fundamental rhythms, which fundamentalist and rhythm doesn't really go together, but, all right, rhythm number one here, receive the word. I like how the King James puts it, of saying gladly, gladly receive the word, because the idea here is welcome. Um, you know, some of us, we go around and we shake hands, maybe with people that you don't know all that well, you, 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 give, a, you give a hearty handshake. Uh, Mike Duguay, whenever I get together with Mike Duguay, we're, we're best buds. And, and so whenever we get together, we're not giving each other a handshake. I'm giving him a hug. He's my brother. Uh, I love that man. Uh, we, we hug, we embrace, we take in one another. And that's, that's what this, is, this word means here. It's like the seed in the parable of the soils. Not the parable of the seeds, the parable of the soils. Uh, like the seed falling into the good soil. Seed gets spread, it gets absorbed into the earth, that good soil. That's what's happening in the hearts of these people. They welcomed the word. They welcomed this gospel message of Peter. This is belief. Rhythm number two. So look at the... uh, the uh, The consequence happening here. So they believe and then what? They were baptized. Imagine that. 3,000 souls getting baptized. 
Can you picture that in your mind, what that would look like? That would be pretty awesome. Now, but they each get baptized. Then what happens? They get added. Added to what? Added to the church. Added to what church? Universal or local? The Catholic church, not Roman Catholic, but the Catholic. Universal church, every believer in Christ. Is that what he's talking about here? I don't think so. I think he's talking about the local church here, the foundation here in Jerusalem, this church. Why do I say that? I say it for a couple reasons. Verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to their number, talking about the people who are meeting together day by day, the local church added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 4. Uh, But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. All right, and that's the men, not including the women, the children. So the church was even much bigger than this number. Uh, But does Luke know how many people had gone to, you know, they were were there for Pentecost, right? But then they got to go home. All right, so a lot of these people took the gospel message with them. They took it to Africa. They took it to far off places. And does Luke have knowledge about their numbers? Is he getting uh, emails and saying, oh, uh, four people got saved this Sunday? And he could just, oh, add it to the number of a universal church. No, it makes far more sense for it to be that this is a local church. So what's the rhythm here? The rhythm is to commit to a local church through membership. It's an awkward thing for a pastor to talk about. Uh, but I'm not the pastor here, so I can talk about it as frankly as I want. All right. Uh, what is it saying? Repent, be baptized, and get into a local church. Commit. Commit to a local church. Next week, we'll talk about what that looks like. But again, I like how the 1689 puts it. It writes, Such saints willingly consent to walk together according to the appointment of Christ, giving themselves up to the Lord and to each other. That's what church membership looks like. You're not going to find the term church membership in the Bible. Unless there's like an ultra Baptist version of the Bible that I don't know about yet. All right. You're not going to find church membership. But what you're going to find is commitment. Over and over and over again. Commitment to a local church. A body of believers that you are walking in covenant with to a holy God. And striving, striving to please Him. And doing what we'll talk about next week of these day by days, like verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together, breaking bread in their homes. They receive their food with glad and generous hearts. That's what commitment looks like. That's what we are to do. Those are the rhythms of repentance. Boom, boom, boom. Repent, be baptized, get added. Repent, be baptized, get committed to a local church. So enough of the excuses. It's clear from the New Testament and from the Great Commission itself that these rhythms are to be lived out as soon as possible. I don't know why that uh, throughout history we've changed it. This happened in one instance. They repented, they were baptized that day. I don't know why we've changed it and said, all right, well, Maybe, maybe Christianity, uh, with, with Christianity, I believe it, but I'll get baptized someday. Right? Some, someday, eventually, I'll get 
baptized. That's not a good enough excuse. I'm not ready to commit. This may be another thing that someone would say. Well, Jesus already committed to you. Do you have any right to deny those who have been committed to him? No. Baptism and church membership are not intended to solve a Christian's midlife crisis. It is to be a toddler's first steps. That's what it should be. You get saved, baptized. And it's not four years from there, a decade from there. I know Christians uh, who have lived their Christian life for 20 plus years never got baptized. Found some excuse every time and now it's just awkward. And I don't want to go up there and admit that I haven't been baptized. It's not a good enough excuse. But this is the way that we should be teaching as a Baptist church. This is what it looks like. Repent. Get baptized. Don't put it off. There's no good enough excuse to reject Christ's commands. These rhythms go hand in hand. The way I can best put it is like a train. It's like a train. Sure, justification is in the locomotive. Uh, we, we would look at that and say, all right, that's repentance. But what's coming after that locomotive? The cars. The cars. The cars like baptism. The cars like church membership. And they are going to come. They're not going to be held out there. Why? Because they are directly connected. So when that locomotive gets going, those cars are coming with it. Boom, boom, boom. Repent, be baptized, and become committed to a local church. So, for application for us tonight. Are you committed to Christ? Have you repented? Have you committed to Christ through baptism? These are not iffy kind of things. These are direct commands. Are you committed to the church? Are you a member of this local church? If you come here and you call this church home, you are doing yourself a disservice by not committing, and you are doing us a harm by not committing. We need each other. Um, uh, every year I go through Pilgrim's Progress, and, and I'm beginning to do that walk through it uh, with Andy. Uh, but the thing, one of the things that always encourages me is when Christian uh, finally catches up with Faithful, and they go walking together. And I love how it puts it uh, that they, they walked together, and it was better to walk together than, uh, to, than any of them to have traveled on their own. Through the dangers, through the... Uh, through going through, uh, battling with the giant despair, all of that, much easier when you're together. Much, much sweeter. The victory is much sweeter when you get to celebrate together. Are you committed to the church? Are you committed to the church in that, like the 1689 reads, giving themselves to each other? Are you giving to your church? I'm not talking about finances. I mean emotionally. I mean, spiritually, are you using your gifts in this local church? There are no maverick Christians. There are no Christians that we can look at and say, wow, they're so cool, they're rogue, they're all on their own, they're uh, winning the fight. There are no Christians like that. We need each other. Christ has given the gift of being part of a local church so we can live out these rhythms together to the glory of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, again for a night that we can go into your word and be encouraged. I thank you, Lord, uh, that you have lived out uh, 
Um, you, you, you have given uh, so much to each one of us. You, you have bestowed on us your Holy Spirit. If we have believed in you, if we have believed in the gospel message, God, I pray that you would help us now to live out these rhythms of repentance. Yes, Lord, uh, for me that happened uh, over, uh, over many years ago now, um, but every day I, I still need to repent of sin that's in my heart. I pray that you'd help me to live out that rhythm. Lord, I, I pray for my friends. If there are those here who've never been baptized, uh, who, who still haven't committed uh, to a local church, I pray that, that you would help them to see, uh, not, not in a shameful way, but Lord, in an encouraging way, that they need to follow through uh, with these commands. They are, they are not something to put off. Uh, Lord, they, they are helpful like John Bunyan wrote with Christian, always looking back at his scroll and being encouraged when, it, when he came into danger. That's what we can do uh, with, with that moment that we repented of our sin, with that moment that we were baptized, uh, with that moment that we committed to a local church through membership. Uh, Lord, I pray that we would be encouraged as we think about those thoughts. Lord, if there are, are people who, who want to go through this, I pray that you give them courage and boldness to speak with pastor, to speak to other leaders here in the church. And Lord, that we would be living out this message with our community, that we would want sinners to repent, that we would want them to be baptized, that we would want them to be a part of this local church. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help us this week in this. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.